You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Nate to come forward, and uh, just by way of introduction for Nate... um... Uh, this is a special day in the life of the church uh, here at the Vine. Uh, as I just was praying, Eastside Church, um, we're, we're a church planning church, the Vine. We seek to make disciples among neighbors and nations. And so uh, this is our second time kind of reproducing ourselves in the, in the community here in Madison. Uh, so it's really exciting to see Eastside officially launched. They are no longer part of the Vine. They are gone. They've all grown up. Um, and so they are doing their thing over in Lowell Elementary, and we celebrate that. We're thankful for them. Um, yeah, give it up. Yeah. We are thankful for what God has been doing there. Um, and so reach out to, to those that you know who are part of that team and uh, just encourage them. Um, uh, and the second half of that is Nate is here. Um, and he was part of the, the kind of the founding pastors that came up uh, from the Iowa area to come plant this church um, back in 2010-ish. Um, and we sent him uh, a few years ago to plant Redeemer City Church, which is kind of in the, in the Fitchburg area. Uh, and so it's exciting. Uh, we're really thankful for Nate to be here uh, to open God's Word um, with us this morning. And he'll share more about Redeemer City, I know. Um, but we're really thankful for him and what uh, him and Casey are doing uh, in the Fitchburg area. So Kim is going to come forward. We're going to read from Philippians as our passage this morning, Philippians chapter 3. Kim is going to come forward and read the first 11 verses. Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ." Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, As James said, my name is Nate. Um, You know, one of the things you may not realize this morning, obviously like this service, a little sporadic in terms of attendance, but that is because of some really amazing things God has done here. Um, we showed up in 2010, there was a vision to see not just one church planted, but multiple churches planted, not only here, but beyond. And one of the things that was 
I was talking to um, a national leader the other day, and I was asking him, I said, so tell me, like, what's the average when a church is planted that they'll plant again? And um, he said this, the average is 5%. In other words, every church that's planted within um, the United States today, 5% of them will plant again. And so I want you to realize something, Vine, like there's something unique happening here by God's grace, because you not only just planted once, which was us back in 2014, we're coming up in five years, but you're celebrating now your second church planted. There's, that's just really special. This is really unique. And um, the Lord's just doing it. It's just, it's remarkable. And, and I'll say this from, from, from Redeemer City, you know, one of the things that's developing, obviously, is this, this identity of Madison Multiply, these collection of gospel-centered churches that are committed to church planning, believing that's the most effective way to see a city transformed by the gospel. Um, it's just a privilege to partner with you in it. It really, it really is. And so it's a real privilege to be here this morning. Um, let me give you a brief update on Redeemer City. Last time I was here in January, you know, we were asking for money, actually. Um, it was kind of like the, the, the kid who's like out of money, needs some money to get something done, goes back to the parent. Um, that was me back in January. Uh, we were working on a facility in the King James Way area, a strategic part of the city in Fitchburg. has a lot of needs. And um, one of the things they lack there is a facility. And so our vision was not just to, like, gather there on Sunday, but actually be a place where the community could have various needs met throughout the week, partner with a number of different organizations. And actually, just a couple weeks ago, we kind of got to see at least one little splash of that. And that was uh, the Verona Area Schools did a back-to-school supplies event, and they hosted it at our place. And so this is a brief picture out front of our, um, our place. Uh, go to the next one, too. That'll show you the... That's them staying up in one of the rooms. But we had like 375, 400 people through our facility a couple weeks ago. And it's just, again, to be a place to help the community connect, to have various needs met. And, of course, what we're trusting and hoping that the gospel will just continue to move forward in that community. So you guys are a part of that, and we're a part of you. And it's just it's wonderful to be here. All right, that being said, let me get down to business here. We are in the book of Philippians. And... You know, it's kind of a one week, I mean, Zach did one last week, but if I could say one thing about the book of Philippians, what it's about, maybe how it connects with where you are today, uh, it would be this. The very presence of this letter suggests that there is a joy available, even in the midst of events and relationships that threaten to undo us. The, the very presence of the letter to the Philippians suggests that there is a joy that is not circumstantial. And it's actually not even sappy optimism, as if it's just turn your frown upside down, but there's a joy that is available that actually embraces the very moments you and I live in, that we can experience. And the reason I say that is because as Paul's writing this letter, uh, he's in jail, not by his choice, Right? didn't show up there. And he doesn't know if he's going to make out alive. And yet throughout this letter, there's 15 times he uses joy as a verb and two as a noun. And it's just this lace of joy throughout the entire letter, this short letter. And that suggests that there is a joy that is available that is not circumstantial. 
And when you read through the letter of the Philippians, it's really clear the secret to this joy, it's just found in a relationship with Jesus. That's it. Like, that's where his heart, his life, everything is rooted. And you see it. And so we're in a part of the letter where, in one way or another, Paul is helping this young church and the reader, us as well, kind of navigate to the waters of how do we work this out to root our joy in Christ. And, and Paul does something. He, he has blazed a trail to this joy, and he is like a guy telling us where to walk and where not to go, inviting us to follow him. And, and here's the, the big idea is this. He wants this young church at Philippi, he wants the readers of us today to hear this, that our one life ambition would be to know Christ. To know Christ. And these verses unpack what that looks like for him and what it looked like for us. So let me pray, and then we'll step into the text. Father, we pray this morning for, the, for us who are coming that are weak and weary, um, who are humbled by our circumstances, And we pray that you would lead us to see and savor your son. Lord, we pray for those of us who are in a, perhaps even a a good season of life. Lord, that you would so illuminate the work of your son and who he is that you would place within us a longing and a desire that would surpass everything around us to know you. And we ask you for help. We know we can't do that in our own strength. And so we ask this in your name. Amen. So three things in this passage Paul leads us on to know Christ. One is to renounce. There's a certain way of life Paul's going to say, you you need to renounce this kind of living. The second is to rely on another. And then the third is to reimagine. So if you're a fan of alliteration, you're welcome. If you're not, sorry, this is what you get this morning. Um, But the first one, renounce. Um, Notice in verse 2, Paul three times in this verse says, look out, look out, look out. Um, Think about this for a moment. If you're a parent and you're sending out your kids out the door, what do you say? Watch out, look out. There's a warning there because you love them. And Paul is saying, look out three times because there's this one group called the Judaizers. And there are people who are in essence saying this, if you want to belong to God, if you want to be right with God, you need to be circumcised. Now, that sounds maybe a little bit strange to us today, but if you go back to, for example, Genesis, Abraham was given the sign of circumcision to be marked out as God's people. But now this sign in this time has become a sign where it it was never meant to do. And that was to be, it was being used as a badge, something you did to get right with God. Now, let's put it this way. That form of getting right with God, that's not something I doubt any of us struggle with today, right? No one's saying that here, but there are plenty of forms like this. And and here's what, in essence, Paul is saying. If you're gonna root your joy in Christ, you need to renounce a life where you somehow construct a life in which you don't need him. It's interesting, think about this for a moment. This is how unique the gospel is. Because in one way or another, there's a way to reject Christ in which you say, hey, I'm gonna live how I wanna live. 
I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm in control. But listen, there's another way that's actually more subtle. It actually looks a little bit better. And it says something like this. It says, God, I'm going to reject your son Jesus by keeping all the rules. I'm actually going to say to God, you must, I'm going to obey all these things so you must now give me a good life. Now, God, you're in, you're in debt to me and I'm in control. And this is the life that's constructed on not needing Christ. You know, Flannery O'Connor, in one of her novels, one of her characters, Hazel Motes, was described as this. There is this deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. In other words, there is a kind of life that we must, must renounce where we think by our own goodness, we don't need Christ. And this is why Paul in verses four to six completely deconstructs this way of living. And he does it in an astonishing way. I imagine many of you here this morning have applied for a job at some point, right? And you get your resume out, you put your name at the top, you make it look all nice, you put your years of, of education, your experience, you know, at the bottom, you put some special things that, I don't know, maybe set you apart, right? This is what I was involved with. And, and when you do that, what are you hoping? You're hoping that when it arrives on that employer's desk, that they'll compare it to everybody else and yours will kind of, you know, tip the balance because you've got more education or a better education or you went to this school or you had this experience and it fits with this thing. Paul in verses four to six is laying out his spiritual resume. And he's saying this, if you want to construct a life in which you don't need Christ, well, then guess what? I have more reasons than you. I have, a better, I have a better spiritual resume than you. Um, he does two lists, and, and there, there are two things. One is his spiritual pedigree, and the second is his achievements. And Paul lists seven advantages, four inherited privileges, and three that are personal achievements. And both of these, as they move forward, they're two movements in which he moves towards a climax. So the spiritual pedigree, verses four and five, he talks about being circumcised on the eighth day, a Jew by birth from the tribe of Benjamin, historically a highly regarded tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews means he, he probably spoke Aramaic in the dispersed Greek devotion, um, context. Um, in, in other words, and this doesn't mean a lot to us today, but in that day, what that meant is he had the name recognition. He came from the right family, from the right place that would make any sort of merit towards God. But it wasn't just his spiritual pedigree, it was also his performance. So when he talks about his achievements, he said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. The, the, the Pharisees, they were this strict religious sect that said, we're going to be we're going to be the true people of God. We're going to obey God's law. He's like, I was a part of that group. I was in the right group. And then he talks about in terms of um, for zeal. Like, how committed were you, Paul? It's like, I persecuted the church. Like, I was in this all over. And in fact, people were wrong. I went after them. 
And then Paul, how about, how about just your own obedience to the law? He says blameless. In other words, exemplary. Now, Paul is this guy whose spiritual credentials would be like one of us having the last name of Bezos or Zuckerberg, going to Harvard or Yale, graduating magna sum cum laude, whatever that is, right? Being president of the honor society. Like Paul has just laid out his entire list. And he's saying, guess what? You can't beat my name recognition and you can't beat my credentials. He's basically talking to a bunch of others who went to like Jacksonville State University, got a, sorry if you went to Jacksonville State, that's a slam, um, got like a C average and were like secretary of the Quidditch team. You know what I mean? Like Paul is saying, check this out, my credentials completely top yours. You can't beat me. But notice what he does in verse seven. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, I'm throwing out my credentials. They aren't worth squat. I have Christ. Um, You know, perhaps you're here this morning and you aren't a Christian. Let me say, if you could walk away from this time with one thing, I'd want you to understand. It's this, to become a Christian is not merely just repenting of sin. Listen, as, as one pastor puts, like there's, there's a lot of people who actually say, I'm sorry, I've done wrong things. But listen, the distinction with Christianity, to become a Christian, you have to repent of your righteousness. Do you hear that? You have to repent of your righteousness. Everything that you think merits anything before God, whatever that is, You have to turn from that, not rely on that, not bring that to the table. If you and I are going to experience a relationship with Christ in which joy is exuding, it begins right here, renouncing any reliance on our own efforts or our own goodness to merit anything before God. But also it means to rely on another. And and this is verse 9. Paul writes, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Uh, Righteousness means meeting the requirements of God. It means doing what's right. And notice in this passage Paul distinguishes two kinds. One is a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And this is in distinction to the righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. Now, the righteousness from the law, that's basically everything that Paul just unpacked in verses 4 to 6. It's everything that Paul was throwing out, his credentials. But he introduces us to a new righteousness that's through Faith in Christ. And here's the distinction. So one of the things that's fascinating about when you read the Gospels 
or even the epistles, and you begin to take in what they say about Jesus, you begin to realize that there's no one like this man. Like, no one has ever lived this way. You know, in John 8, Jesus looks out and he says to, um, he says to those who are criticizing him, he says, which of you can prove me guilty of sin? Wow, that's a bold statement. You know, in Peter's epistle, it says about Jesus, he committed no sin and no deceit was in his mouth. And, and think about this for a moment. That, this is what that means. It means when Jesus walked this earth, he, he never sinned. Like, here's the law of God, and he perfectly met it to its standard, to its T. This is a real righteousness in real time worked out. And notice what Paul's saying. That Paul somehow has had a righteousness given to him through faith in Christ. And here's what that means. It means if you're a Christian, listen, it's not anything less than forgiveness, but it is more. It means when, when you come to Christ, like there's a dynamic where your sins are forgiven, like all of the things you did and have messed up, past, present, and future, like it's taken care of. You're back to zero, but check this, there's more. The righteousness of God, the language is the imputation. It means that you are credited as perfectly obeying the law of God. And notice, it's not because you did it. It's because he did it. This is a remarkable truth, because think about this for a moment. This means that right now, presently, as a status, if you are in Christ, you will never be more righteous in God's sight than you are today. That's distinct from sanctification. There's this process of becoming like Christ, but there is a status that is given based on the work of Christ that before the Father, you are counted as perfectly having obeyed the righteous standards of God. That's, That's who you are. And see, this is why Paul has thrown out all of his credentials. Why? Because he's got this, a real righteousness worked out in space and time. Why would he want to hold on to anything else? It's all his through faith. You know, one of the reasons why it's hard to work this out is honestly, whether you've been a Christian for a week or for 20 years, is in one way or another, we all want to kind of smuggle our own righteousness into our relationship to God. But let me unpack a couple ways that happens. So perhaps this morning, you're walking through a season and it's not been an easy one. Maybe it's been health related. Maybe it's, you know, you, you wanted the spouse, you wanted the boyfriend, you wanted the job and it just didn't pan out. And you begin to look around at others and you begin to look at their lives and you begin to go, why are they getting what I am not getting? Why do they have what I don't have? You begin to compare. And bitterness starts to develop. Can I, can I suggest to you, if, if that's you this morning, you are smuggling 
you are functionally operating opposite of the gospel. You are smuggling your own righteousness into this relationship with God. You're beginning to say, God, I've been good. I've done this. I should get whatever's in the blank. And your joy is gone. You've begun to live day to day functionally constructing a life in which you don't need Christ. Or here's another one that I think um, a lot of us struggle with. It's fear. Some of us, we live day in, day out, wondering when God is out to get us. Or sometimes it's, you know, we, we measure our relationship with God based on how we performed last week, right? I mean, in one way or another, as you begin to walk with Christ, you begin to see the various things in your life that you go, wait, this is, this is what God's calling me to turn from. And then, you know, you walk a week, and you're like, hey, I did pretty good that week. God's probably pretty proud of me, you know? And then the next week, it's a total flop. And you think God's just completely down on you. But, but what's happening there? You're beginning in those moments, right, to smuggle in your own character. Look at, you're, you're beginning to rely on yourself. You're beginning to so focus on yourself that you've lost sight of Christ. And then that's, that's what's happening here. This is why we lack joy. Richard Lovelace would, would say this, faith that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love is actually the root of holiness. I hope you understand how disorienting and yet how good this news is and how much we need it every day. This is not, uh, I have it all down today, check please. No, this is every day wrestling with keeping our eyes fixed on Christ and this righteousness that we have through faith in him. Now that affects every aspect of our life. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He calls us to reimagine our life. And this is verses 10 through 11. He says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, two brief points before we close. Uh, who, ta- who talks like this? You notice how Paul is talking here. He's talking as if his life is somehow wrapped up in the story of Jesus. Do you notice that? Becoming like him in his death. Sharing in his sufferings. Listen, One of the things that happens when you begin to orient yourself around this news, around this person of Jesus, is it's learning to be, to see life in the midst of Jesus' life, lived through your life. It's this idea, and and here's what's important. Sometimes we read this and we go, oh yeah, I mean, Paul, this is, I mean, he gets it. I mean, he's in jail, he's he's doing God's work, he's, he's a missionary, he's all this stuff, and I'm just, you know a lowly epic employee that has to do TS work or something. But I want you to understand something. He's writing to a church in Philippi where there is a Roman jailer. 
where there is a, where there's Lydia, a successful businesswoman. What's he doing? He's saying, no matter your vocation, no matter your season in life, this life in Christ has got to be worked out in your context. What does that look like? What does it look like to, to reimagine life in such a script where it's not my life, it's the life of Christ being lived through me? There's a lot to be thought about here and said, but let me just focus on one aspect, and that would just be becoming like him in his death. What, what does that even look like? What does that mean? Just a couple thoughts. Um, there's this, there's this um, hymn or poem in the middle of chapter 2 of Philippians. It's talking about Christ. And it's talking about how he had all the privileges and status. And how he didn't use it to exploit but how he gave it up to forget himself into the very needs of others. How he was obedient to the point of death, even to the point of death on a cross. Paul, when he says becoming like him in his death, I would suggest it's something like this. It's learning that when you see Christ and what he's done for you, somehow that begins to transform you from the inside out. And all of a sudden, you begin to see the very things I'm doing, I am called not to exploit my status. Not to use others for my own gain. But actually in one way or another, as an act of worship to God, to offer my life. To forget myself in the needs of others. Listen, this is what's remarkable. These are everyday things and extraordinary things. You know, in chapter 2... Paul gives an example um, of Epaphroditus, this guy. And he's saying, he's, he's really just showing an example of what it looks like. And this is a guy who somehow in the midst of the house church in Philippi heard about Paul being in need 800 miles away, said, I'll go. And so he takes news with him and basically he goes. It would have been probably six weeks and he just goes and he delivers and he helps Paul out. He's just offering himself to someone who has a need. Um, you know, just b- between services here, I was talking to a couple who are working on a, adopting a young kid. And I thought, wow, that's a great example. Um, the, you know, th- this can be played out in city group life. You're just sitting there in the context of a living room going, What are the needs around me? How do I move forward with the resources God has given me into their life? See, I hope you understand, like, this isn't, this isn't like superhero status, these huge things. These are simple acts in which you're understanding the life of Christ lived in your life. Becoming like him in his death is somehow an outward life of offering yourself in service to others. Where are the needs around you? That's an aspect of becoming like him in his death. It means that motherhood, marriage, singleness, sex, money are all things to be stewarded towards the common good, not towards self. And learning to work that out every minute and moment of the day. 
you might be at this point saying, how do I experience this joy more? <laughs> I had someone ask me between services, Nate, how do you do it? I said, well, I'm learning. Um, but, but, but let me point us to verse 8 for a moment. Paul, Paul says this. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish there, the underlying original Greek is scubala, and it literally means excrement. It's Paul saying, whatever I have, whatever I've lost, I considered it rubbish compared to gaining Christ. There's something about Christ that is far superior. And, and this is the difference, because think about this for a moment. There is a way to move towards Christ as a means, but not the end. Let me say it again. There is a way to move towards Christ as a means and not the end. You know, in, 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 in other words, we could move towards Christ and say, I'm going to move towards you because you're a ticket to eternal life. You're a means towards that. Or it might be, you know what, um, I'm, I'm serving you and I need strength and I need wisdom in order to carry out your purposes in my context. Or it might be, I just have, I just have needs, I need help. Now let me say something, those are all legitimate things, right? But Paul, he's saying, if you've renounced this kind of life and you're relying on Christ, then what is beginning to happen is Christ cannot be a means, he's got to be the end. And there is, there is a difference there. As I was thinking about that this past few weeks, um, I think about being a dad to a 13, 11, and a 9-year-old. And if you've ever been around that age, now I'm getting, it, you know, it used to be like, will you help me get this snack or this food? Now it's like, Dad, can you give me some money? Like, that's what I'm getting now. And, you know, so you, you have your kids coming to you for various needs and various things, and that's all appropriate, and I'm trying to be as generous and wise, and usually they have more money than me anyway in the house. It doesn't matter, but you know what my favorite time is? Uh, when I come home, and there's one kid in particular. They hear me come in, and they just yell out, Dad. And they run, and they give me a hug. I'm not going to tell you which one. But I will say this. Like, that's, that's the picture. And this one's going to ask me for stuff. <laughs> he has needs. But I'm not, an, I'm not a means to an end. Somehow. Somehow. Because this relationship, it's more than that. What's your life ambition? You know, Paul is calling us to know Christ. To pursue that with everything we have. Let me ask you in this season, what might that look like for you? Um, maybe it means this week, you just get together with someone and you, and, you, and you just talk about it. What might that look like in your season? Maybe it's, maybe it's beginning each day and it's not opening InstaFace, you know, it's not checking email, but it's beginning each day with just opening one of the Gospels. And it's beginning to read slowly who this Jesus is. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth. 
but you're moving towards them. Perhaps it's grabbing two or three friends and challenging other to commit a passage like this to memory. Or perhaps you're just, you know, perhaps in your season in which you're a young mom and, and you have kids all over the place and to have like two minutes alone is like amazing, you know. Think of one of our moms that are in our community who just basically just has a, a Bible open on the counter so when she gets those two minutes, it's like it's there, you know. It's just simple things. But let me close with this because I know some of you this morning, if we're honest, um, Maybe some of us are just skeptical, maybe cynical that this life could actually be worked out in your life. Maybe this morning you feel honestly apathetic. Like, hey, I know this is what I should do, but I don't really, I don't really want to. Let me give you one last word here. It's when a pastor friend of mine said in a sermon not so long ago, says that in the garden, back in Genesis 3, when everything went wrong, and Adam and Eve said to God, we don't need you. You know what the first words were out of God's mouth? The first words were not, what have you done? Right? When your kids mess up, it's usually like, what have you done? Right? That's what, that's what for me, the first words out of God's mouth were this. Where are you? Because that's his heart. And what do we see, Paul, right here? The culmination of the story is this relentless pursuit of God doing everything for us in the person and work of Jesus. And in light of renouncing and relying on that, that is what fuels the joy, and, that what, and that's what fuels an ambition that exceeds all other ambitions to simply know him. Let's pray. Father, we pray you would take um, us as we are today. We're so grateful that you do. Um, and we come to you with our divided hearts, <laughs> apathetic hearts, weary hearts, um, perhaps even hearts that even these moments have maybe just even been a little bit reminded and wooed towards how good you are. And we ask you for help. Lord, I pray for the vine, so grateful for them, and just pray in this season as they step in that you would continue to help them to grow, to be a community that pursues you. Lord, we pray for your spirit, your leading, your direction, the leadership. We pray, Father, for you to continue to bless this community. And Lord, you might give them hearts that would simply pursue this ambition to simply know Christ and as they do that you would continue to use this community for the sake of your gospel for the sake of the nations we ask this in your name amen amen thank you